Every week, we do a Q&A with interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community to find how they persevered, how they innovated, how they built communities, and how they found solutions. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. All right, welcome to Chris Whitehall's Name Tags Chat. Today, we are with Brittany Mason, who is a very, very fast woman, world record holder, T47 class in the 100 meters, world champion in the 100 meters. She won the 100 and the 200 at trials going toward Tokyo. She also was all academic in the MAC, uh, in the MAC conference. So, so we have that and I had a scholarship to Eastern Michigan University to run track before she knew that she could be a Paralympian. We, uh, Brittany, thank you so much for joining us. Of course. This is awesome. This is absolutely awesome. And also, I didn't mention you actually had the high school state record in Ohio in the 60 meters, right? Yeah, I did. So at the trials, you went 100 and 200. You won the 100 and 200. You had the state record in the 60 meters when you were in high school. You were second in the MAC conference in the indoor 60 meters. Are you going to move up to the 200? Are you going to be making some noise in the 200 as well? Yeah, so that's my goal. Um, I've always been a short sprinter, so I've really focused on, um, I'm a power runner. So I've always done the 60, 100, and the 200 was kind of um, to help me with my 100. But as of recently, I have actually been training more for the 200 and focusing on the 200 instead of my 100 because running a faster 200 will, you know, coincide with helping me run a faster 100. So I'm hoping to make some noise um, in the 200 really soon. So, so this is more of a strength thing yeah. in some ways for you is, is getting stronger. So you're running a good 200, which is going to help you be stronger at the end of your 100, which as we all know, you know, you're trying not to slow down at the end of your of your 100. How about your your rivalry? So you and Deja are are two Deja Young are two of the fastest. I mean she won two world championships in the 100 prior to you winning the world winning the uh, world championship but she also she had broken the world record in the 100 in in uh, in Dubai and then you turned around and rebroke the world record, I think it was three hundredths of a second, right? Start knocking that, just tipping that little bit off of it. What's this, what's this rivalry like? Because she's both a 100 and a 200 meter runner as well. Yeah. So she, let me just start off by saying like, she's a phenomenal athlete. My first time, obviously, um, you know, going into Paris, my first time meeting her was in Dubai um, in 2019 at the world championships. And I heard a lot of success from her and like a lot of, you know, successful stories about her and how she's really never lost and she's a really good athlete. So that really amped me to, you know, want to be a better athlete and to compete because I'm the type of athlete who I like to compete against the best and when they're at their best. And that's kind of what fuels me to run faster. So, you know, I, we ran in the prelims, we ran in individual um, heats. And so I ran before her and I like, I think I had broke the meat record and I'm like, oh, okay, like that's pretty good. I haven't ran in about six, seven months. And then I saw that she broke the world record right after. And I'm like, okay, I need to do something in the finals. So that like really amped me up in a sense of you were on the same team. So it's like, I'd rather, you know, USA go one and two or my teammate beat me versus another country. So 
it really excites me to, um, you know, have her on that, on my team. And like, she motivates me to want to, you know, work harder and run faster. So this is, is this some of what you're thinking about as you're training, as you're going through whatever you're doing on the track, your intervals, or you're in the weight room? Is this, are you thinking, okay, Deja's working hard too. I need to, I need to show up. She's going to throw down. Yeah, absolutely. I feel that way about a lot of my um, competition. You know, there's a lot of good girls, you know, not only just Deja here in the USA, but also like all around the world. So it's like, you never know who's going to show up and show out. So that's like constantly in the back of my mind, like they might be doing this, but you need to work harder and do that. So that's just kind of been what's been pushing me and motivating me as I've been continuing to train um, for Tokyo, which is why specifically I have actually been more serious about my my 200 meter dash so that I can, you know, have that strength to run multiple rounds at Tokyo for, you know, prelim finals and then execute each race without, you know, being exhausted to come back again and do the same thing over and over for different days. Now with, with the 200 and with stretching sort of the endurance part of your sprinting. So, so you have herbs palsy, right? Yes. Can you describe what herbs palsy is? Cause that might affect the end of your race as Absolutely. well, right? 100% it affects it tremendously. Once my arm stops pumping, everything goes. So um, I have nerve damage in my left shoulder and um, elbow. And so it's a form of brachial plexus, which affects my range of motion. So I can do certain things, but a lot of my range of motion is very limited and it's not really noticeable until I run. So kind of my every day-to-day -day routine, not many people notice, but then it really shows on the track, especially with my longer races, like a 200, you know, once I'm fatigued, it shows a lot more. So that's basically in the gist of what my herbs palsy is. And, and so, so with, with the endurance that you, that you're developing by going more in the 200, what does that do for your arm? Because it is, it is noticeable, right? Looking at the, looking at the videos, your arms look different, right? Where it's not necessarily even the plane yeah. of your arm where your right arm is kind of like right by your body where your left arm is kind of coming across your body, which is not helpful, right? As a sprinter, you want a everything going in that direction. Yeah, a lot of wasted movement. <laughs> but it's also your right arm's much more muscular than your yeah. left arm is. How do you go and strengthen that and maintain your form? Because maintaining your form it sounds really easy, right? For, for me sitting here watching you run, I'm like, okay, Brittany, just you know, maintain your form in the last 100 meters. And you're like, okay, yeah, but it hurts now. And, it's, yeah. and the coordination is going. How are you going about maintaining your form? Yeah, so um, we just actually, a couple of years ago, um, incorporated me doing a lot of upper body strength. So I made it a goal my junior year of college to be able to do a pull-up, like, you know, just my upper body strength and like really focusing on that. So I really worked hard at being able to hit the um, weight room really hard because when I came in as a freshman, my arm would flare up so bad because I wasn't used to, you know, working out five, six days a week in high school. I maybe did workouts two to three times a week. And so I had a lot of recovery time and then coming into college, oh boy, it was a rude awakening for me and my coaches. We had no idea what was going on with my arm. It was constantly swollen and just so inflamed and like no treatment was really helping me. But then I realized, and we realized um, over time, I have to kind of get through that breaking point where, okay, it's sore, it's sore, it's sore, it's hurting, it's hurting, it's swollen. And then once it gets used to, you know, being worked, it just stops being sore and it just stops working. So it was a lot of convincing my college um, 
strength coach to just let me push through it because he didn't want me to, because I'm like, no, I want to do it. I have to do it. Like, this is the only way I'm going to be able to run faster and get faster. Like my arms have to be just as strong as my legs. So it took a lot of convincing and a lot of just working through pain, like legit crying because it would just hurt so badly. And then I would just have to, you know, ice ibuprofen, go get some treatment and then make do what it do. But um, also with um, the running aspect, me and my coach noticed that I have to run longer than my race to condition my arm, kind of how you condition your lungs to run fat or to run longer. I had to kind of in a sense condition my arm to run over 200 meters or run over the 100 meter mark because if I was only practicing for a 60, my arm wouldn't know what to do the last 40 meters of my race. So we really have, you know, dialed in and started executing running a little bit longer so that when I am in my race and I'm running just 200 meters versus running 300 meters in practice, I have that extra, you know, wiggle room of a hundred meters to know, okay, you can go a little bit longer. You can pump your arm a little bit harder and it won't be as fatigued as it usually is when you're not doing these things. What's your arm like after you stop? So you're pushing through all the pain for your workout. You're an athlete. You're like, there's good pain. This is good pain. This is my job. I have to beat the pain. Mm -hmm. But then what was it like afterwards after you're in your regular everyday life yeah so my coach would always make a joke because I would come into practice and he said like my arm would like my shoulder be like this so it looked like I was like the hunchback of Notre Dame and so he's like what is going on like I don't know why it's like hard as a rock and sometimes it's like it's a weird feeling to describe but it would kind of feel like I can feel nerve pain but I don't really have feeling in this arm but in my shoulder I could feel so much pain just rushing through my arm. So we've tried a lot of different things like um, scraping it to like reduce the inflammation, cupping, needling. My arm does like the nerve pain does not enjoy needling at all. Like the dry needling. It was, we tried it because we thought it would be, you know, beneficial, but it, it, it made matters worse. So I just kind of got used to like the pain. And then over time, it just became so, I just became so used to it that it didn't really bother me as much anymore. So the pain didn't bother you and you kind of got the arm in more condition that maybe your arm wasn't getting inflamed as much. You've drawn an analogy between herbs palsy and asthma. Haven't you? I believe so. I might have. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I've read this at one point. So, so I'm hoping that what I've read was (laughs) actually true. And if, and if it doesn't work as an analogy, I mean, I thought it was an interesting analogy and interesting to see kind of, kind of where you go with that. But but if, if that's the case, what, what, what does that mean in terms of a strategy, in terms of, uh, you know, attacking the herbs policy or, or in, in working in concert with it? Yeah. So like I said, like, even with like, you know, breathing and every time you like work out and exercise, it's kind of like you have to train your, like how you have to train your lungs or like to train to run faster, run longer, or to be able to like run controlled. That's kind of how I had to do with my arm as well. So it's just kind of in the sense of when you first start conditioning, you're completely out of shape. It's super, super hard to breathe and you want to give up. It feels like track sucks. It's the worst thing in the world. It hurts. Everything hurts literally. And so that's just kind of how my arm was. And that's just in a sense of I need to continue pushing through and like conditioning, conditioning, conditioning. And then over time, how your legs get in shape, how your lungs get in shape. So were my arm. But I didn't realize that until I was a little bit older, maybe my junior, senior year of college. And so before I'd run a lot of really short reps and then we couldn't figure out why I couldn't finish 
my longer races or how I was an amazing 60 meter runner, but my 100 or my 200 was struggling. So we realized that how you train your lungs is kind of in a sense of how I have to train my arm in a way, if that makes sense. It might sound a little funky, but. No, no, it, it, it makes per- perfect sense. What about on the mental side of that? Like you, you don't necessarily feel, you said you don't necessarily feel the nerves in your arm, but is there a way that you can help your arm to relax as opposed to holding all of that tension? Yeah. So my coach and I, we always make a pack. I tell him, you know, if I'm running long races or I'm running longer reps in practice, obviously over time I get fatigued. And so I make it a point for him to yell out at me if my arm looks funny. So we're like, he's like, fix your chicken wing, like as a joke. And so I like, I know like, you know, relax and like relax my shoulders and pump and like really focus in on that. So like a lot of my running is focusing on being able to run my reps fast, but also relax so that my arm knows how to run relax naturally in a race so that it's not, you know, hunching up like this when I'm tired and I can, you know, get through a longer um, amount of meters before it does start to, you know, give me the banana back that we all get after a certain amount of time. Well, that's it, right? The natural instinct when you get tired is your shoulders just start coming up toward your ears, right? And and you have to relax and drop that shoulder, drop those shoulders, which is that much more difficult for you. You didn't know about the Paralympics. I mean, did you know about the Paralympics? You didn't know that you could be a Paralympian, but did you know about the Paralympics? Yeah, absolutely. So I knew about the Paralympics and I I didn't know much in depth, I will admit to that, but I obviously knew that it existed and it didn't get as much exposure as the Olympics. So I never honestly really watched um, the Paralympics until I got reached, someone reached out to my coach and then I started doing more research and I'm like, oh, wow, like this is really amazing. And then it kind of frustrated me at the fact that I didn't find out that I was eligible at all until I was 21 years old. So it's like how many other athletes around the world have the same condition as me and have no idea that they're eligible because they think that the Paralympics is just a wheelchair racer or someone who has um, amputated legs or anything of that sort. So it's Right, like- and so for you, during the, you know, when you're not on the track, when you're not running, when you're not sprinting a hundred meters, it's not obvious yeah. that, there, that you have any kind of an issue with your arm. Does that make it difficult for you in some ways that it's that it's not obvious that people are like what why are you in the Paralympics I don't care yes, I get a lot of questions and I don't think people mean to be ignorant when they ask me so I, I just I'm patient with responding to people in the sense because they're like no offense you look really normal and I'm like well Paralympic athletes look normal too. I mean like they might be missing a leg or two but they're still normal human beings so I had to like you know explain to people you know I have nerve damage. It's a classification in the Paralympics. I had no idea and I just started competing. And so I just would kind of tell them like a quick backstory. And it's actually funny, like even when I had to get like my medical history from my doctor, he's like, you're not eligible for the Paralympics. I'm like, I just need my paperwork. He's like, well, you're not eligible. And I'm like, but I am eligible. Like even he had no idea and he is in medicine. So it's just kind of bizarre how we just have no idea about you know the different disabilities and Paralympics and how it doesn't get the same exposure that it should be getting because people just don't know and I don't think they mean to be ignorant about it but you just don't know well I mean that's part of the game right now too right and I think that's one of the things that's great about the Paralympics is that there's a responsibility on you as an athlete to to own the sport 
to own what's going and and be that representative and help educate and help promote and and you really do have ownership it's not like you just come in and somebody says hey yeah we're gonna pay you a bunch of money and you just do what you do and and then you can go home you know it's like you've got to live it all yeah. the time now for you though you started at 11 years old you were the fifth fastest kid in your age 100 meters and 200 meters so you, you've been fast for a long time. I mean, you're probably fast before that. You just, you just didn't have anything that said, that documented that you were actually that fast. But then, but then you, you raced at Eastern Michigan, scholarship athlete at Eastern. Well, I mean, you did the high school thing and conference champion, state champion, all, all of this stuff. I mean, it just, you kept running and running. What's it like to go from running division one in college to being up against the, the best to then going into the Paralympics. How, what's that transition like? Yeah, so again, like as you stated before, I've ran uh, competitively since I was 11 years old. So I've always, you know, AAU track and field is the best of the best in the country at a young age. So I was taught really young to be very competitive against people, no matter how tall, how small, whatever. So my parents always like, you know, like you have to get after it. And even though you struggle with your arm, like this is what you need to do. And so kind of like leading into, you know, high school, college I thought that I would be done running in college after college because it's just like what else am I going to do I'm not going to go to the able body Olympics you know my times aren't fast enough and when I realized that I was eligible for the Paralympics and my times were really great in that you know field it was amazing like it's just it's different and I like that I've had the competitive the competitive side from you know running so young and through um college and high school and then now here it's been like it's different, but it's more exciting, honestly, to run on this level that I am now than it has been any other level that I've ran on my entire life. And why is that? Why is it more exciting now? So it's more exciting now because it's kind of like it was a, it was something I least expected. And so it's new. I'm fresh to the, you know, I'm fresh to the game of track and field for para. And so I've had a lot of success early on and that has motivated me. And it's like when I was in Dubai, my very first international race, I had no idea what I was doing. I had nothing to lose. And so just going out there and the adrenaline I had and the excitement I saw from the crowd, no other race, well, I'm sure Tokyo will feel the same like that, but no other race before that felt the same as when I was on the line in Dubai running my final race and I had no idea what I was doing. And I had three weeks of training. I just threw myself out there and just ran. <laughs> And well, and you threw yourself out there and ran and ran really fast. I mean, that was that was your world record breaking performance. What's the when you when you look at that, you keep getting faster, though, too, don't you? I mean, it, that, in some ways, that seems a little bit almost a little bit strange, right? That you, you've been running against the best college athletes. And now now that you're in the Paralympics, you're, you're getting faster to what do you attribute that? I think just, you know, my experience now that I'm a little bit older, like I took track seriously, obviously um, in college and high school, but knowing that I am now considered a professional athlete, I have to do more things for my body and take it a lot more serious than I did in high school and college. And so I think that, you know, mentally I know my goals and I know that this is now my career and I want to do this for as long as I possibly can and so having that mindset and knowing that this is what I want and having goals has definitely helped me along the way. 
Well, because in some ways, getting into sports was was almost rehabilitation for your for your arm too when you first started, right? And now yeah. it's gone from rehabilitation to this is your job, mm-hmm. and and not even your job. This is this is your profession. Profession. This is your career. This is your opportunity to make a statement. I guess we do have to. You, you have been talking with your hands a little bit. We have to talk a little bit about about some of the statements that you make. I mean, I saw I saw you. You've got your nails painted. I, I've read something about if you look good, you run good. Is this is this your motto? Yes, absolutely. I feel like you know when you get on the line and you're feeling yourself and you look fantastic, you're gonna run fabulous. Like there's no doubt about it. When you have that confidence in your look, you're gonna run well regardless if you have, you know, a little bit of doubt in the back of your mind, because I did have a little bit of doubt, you know, in Dubai. I'm like, you know what? You have nothing to lose. Your nails are done. Your hair looks good. You're smiling and waving. You have nothing to lose. So look good, run good. (laughs) Now, now, okay, I understand this. And and the thing is, like, as a track athlete, like, this is, this is your focus, right? Is is just your lane and you're a sprinter, right? So you're not, you're not getting out of your lane. And there's so many different elements that go into, making a good hundred meters. Do you look around at all? I mean, if you're looking good, do you, do you look around to see the other, the other athletes to, to check them out to see if they're looking good too, or, or to see if they're looking at you? Yeah, I do a little bit, you know, when we're standing on the line, everyone's, you know, they're um, announcing everyone's name and I'm like, looking like, okay, this is my competition. I'm like, okay, I can fit in. I can handle it. And so like not a sizing them up or anything, but you know, I'm like, okay, they look good. I look good. I'm focused. I'm staying in my lane. And I know that, you know, once I look good and I have that confidence that I usually run good. <laughs> now I've, I've read that, that you, that you listen to gospel music before, before you start, what does gospel music do for you before the start? Yeah. So uh, for me, I listen to my hype music, you know, prior to like warming up and everything like that, I have to get super amped up and super excited. And then once my jitters are going because I'm listening to so much music and like really amped up music, um, listening to gospel music actually calms me down and like kind of brings me back, kind of like back down to earth in a sense where it's like, okay, like before, you know, I'm getting real confident. Like I, I can do this. Like nothing can stop me. I'm in my, I'm in my lane. No one can like stop that. And then when I listen to gospel music, it just like really helps me dial in and like really focus on what I need to do, why God has put me in the place that he has put me in that everything I do is for him. So being able to listen to him right before I step on the line just kind of gives me that reassurance that he's got me and I have nothing to worry about. Which is interesting, right? Because I think that that as an athlete, you can do all the work, right? I mean, it doesn't sound like, it sounds like you put in the work, you, you work hard, but that sense of connection and purpose to your sport is something that that can be the difference between a great competition and a diff and 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 one that isn't quite great. That was like oh, because you you always have that elusive one too, don't you? Where you're like, it was almost it was right there. And so so is the, that connection is is the connection that kind of brings it together for you? Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd make, I've made it a point, like, you know, every single day, no matter what I'm going through with my training, I've always been focused and super dialed in and very, very, you know, laser focused. That's just kind of how I have been. Like, even in competitions, like my coaches know, like, don't talk to me. Like I need to be in my zone and this is what I do. And I have like a routine of what I do 
every single meet. And I hate when that routine is thrown off. Like I can tolerate it, but I, I don't like it at all. And so once I, you know, dial in. And so I've been like doing devotions every day. And so like that helps me every day at night. And like that helps me with like my training to know I had a good training regimen and my, my work has not been good for the week. And then like, even before my races, like just having that, you know, time with God has like really helped me. Like, I don't care how much I've trained. I feel like personally, if I don't, you know, thank God for what he's done for me, or, you know, I don't incorporate him into like my race or anything with my practices that I don't run well, I don't perform well at all. But it's not just your races and your practices. It's, yeah. it's your everyday yeah, life. Everyday I mean, this, life. This isn't you showing up at the starting yeah. line going, Hey, help me out here. Yeah. Just, just need, need, a, need a little bit of push, you know, just, just a little bit, get me past the line. No, I mean, it's, it really is part of who you are every day. What about the, the work ethic? I read that during, during the training, uh, or actually during your recruiting that your coach was talking about the work ethic and, and your mother said, don't worry, she has to answer to me. Uh, so is that, is your mother the one in charge? Do you have to answer to your yeah. mother or you answer yourself or how does that work? My mom's definitely a, a boss woman. She's definitely in charge. And I actually, she ran track, uh, in high school. She was a 400 meter hurdler. I do not hurdle, but it's been nice because it's just kind of like both of my parents were, um, sports oriented and they both did sports growing up. And so that's helped me a lot. And so they've taught me a lot about, you know, discipline and worth ethic and not doing anything halfway like if you're going to go for something you're going you're to do it 100 and so that's always stuck with me and so even when it came to school and my grades like god forbid i get a, a anything lower than a b i'll, I'll like cry so I, I think that having my parents you know teaching it at a very young age and you know having to you know answer to her has definitely helped me um in my sport for sure well it also so so you have you have the faith part of it you have the family part of it but then I, I was looking at some stuff and you were saying that that it, it's really about the role model part of it as well, right? It's it's being able to to help those that are that are coming behind you. I mean, it's a similar kind of thing, right? In the in the sense of like serving others, working as a role model. How does that what, what does that feel like on the starting line? Does it feel like responsibility? Does it feel like a gift? How does it feel? It definitely feels like a gift and a responsibility. So I actually, I helped, um, my dad actually has an AAU track and field team in Cleveland, Ohio that he helps coach with. And so when I was younger, I would always go back and, you know, help them with their block work. And those kids also looked up to me and like, that was really motivating. But specifically this past year, I helped to coach a high school team in um, Michigan. And so having those kids who are, you know, going to college and wanting to work as hard as they possibly can to get scholarships. And they saw that I was able to, you know, run division one college track and field, and I'm going to the Paralympics and I'm, you know, doing something greater than myself and them, you know, looking up to me, I think that's what really, really got to me. Like I would have them, you know, super excited to tell me how I've helped them run faster and they couldn't have done it without me being supportive of them and how they'll message me before my races, like even at trials and um, other um, meets that I've had. And they're just like, you got this, like we believe in you. And so just having that and them running faster helped me to run faster and want to be a better coach and a better, um, you know, role model. And so, just it's amazing to know that you can make an impact on someone's life and a genuine impact and i've had kids you know come up to me like you know 
without you, like, I don't think I would have made it. And like, it's just, it's just so heart touching because it's like, I never thought that I would have that effect on people into in the degree that I have now. It's interesting too, because as a coach, you often have to demonstrate what you want them to do. And the next step of that is now you're on the, on the grand stage and you're doing that same kind of demonstration. Do you feel like it's like, cause, cause you're coaching, right? And you're like, okay, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. But sometimes as an athlete, it's easy to forget that stuff, yeah. isn't it? And it's definitely helped me. So like, sometimes I, when I forget things and I'm teaching them, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I need to, you know, execute this in my race a little bit better when they're running faster. I'm like, okay, this is getting me amped up. Like I need to fix this, this, and this, and go home and do this so that I can run faster for them. So they can be proud of me. How does it work now that you're on the Paralympic side as well? So you're, you have the people that you're coaching, but then has, has the sense of being a role model as a sense of serving others changed now that you're a Paralympian as well? No, I've been kind of doing the same thing that I have been doing. I don't think much has changed uh, that I can think of right now. Okay. Well, well, some of it, what I was reading was was the idea of that, that you as somebody who doesn't necessarily seem disabled can can compete in the Paralympics, right? It's not just about people with wheelchairs. It's not just, yeah. and, and and in some ways you kind of get to this, to this grander sense. Uh, is, is home something? that motivates you too? Yes. You, yes. <laughs> I'm actually, I just got a message from a guy from Cleveland. So, uh, <laughs> so you yes. gotta give your shout out to Cleveland, I think. Yes, shout out to Cleveland, Ohio. I love it there. That's where I'm from, born and raised. So I'm trying to put, you know, Cleveland on the map in Tokyo. <laughs> <laughs> and what is it, what is it about Cleveland? Is it the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Is it the, uh, is it, you know, is it Drew Carey? What, what is it? I think it's more so the fact that um, that's where I spent my entire life. I've never lived anywhere besides when I went to college um, in Michigan. I've never lived anywhere else besides Ohio. That's where I grew up. That's where my family still is. Majority of them, a lot of them have moved away, but my parents still live in Ohio. And so I go back and visit and it's just kind of like, I started from there. I started, you know, running track and field at age 11, 10, 11 with a Cleveland Mustangs track and field team in Ohio, Cleveland, Ohio. And so it's like, now I'm still progressing through, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be, you know, where I am today. If my dad hadn't put me in track or I hadn't ran for Cleveland Mustangs, I might not be running at the level that I'm running at now. And, and the thing is for you, it's, you're running at the top level, but it's, but it hasn't always been about just the running, right? And it still isn't just about the running. I mean, you're still you're still in school, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> I am two masters. <laughs> two masters. Are you doing these concurrently? I am doing them, yes, correct. I am taking them both at the same time. Uh, I don't know who decided that. It was me. But um <laughs> it hasn't been as bad as I thought it would be, but it's definitely been some work for sure. And what are you getting your masters in? So I'm getting a master's in sport management and then business administration. Sport management and business administration. Yep. And what will you do with sports management and business administration? So the goal, the end goal, which I would love to do, this has been my goal for a while now. I have a degree in exercise science for my undergrad. I originally thought that I wanted to go to PA school, work in pediatrics and, you know, work in the hospital setting. I've always wanted to work with children. 
And so now that I have that exercise science base and I've had my little taste of coaching and I'll have that sport management side as well as the business side, I want to eventually open up my own facility and help train younger athletes as well. Younger athletes. And so Paralympic athletes specifically or not Paralympic athletes or? So, or as of now, I actually had to do a, a little project in school and I had made it for specifically like a pair, like just coaching Paralympic athletes. But I think I would definitely expand that more so um, over time, but that would be my goal, my original goal. To start with the Paralympic athletes. And so what would you teach them? I mean, what, cause you, you've been through, you've seen a lot in your life. I mean, you're still young, but you've seen a lot in your life and you've learned a lot and you've been forced to learn a lot. What are the messages? What, what would you help them? How would you help them get better or find their dreams? So one thing I think for me, and especially, you know, competing against athletes my entire life who were abled and I had, you know, overcome a lot of things. I, my main thing I want to teach them is confidence. So it's like with everything you do have confidence in what you're doing and, you know, don't have that self doubt because you're a little bit different from everyone else that you can't do it or you can't have the same goal. So that's something I really, really want to emphasize when I eventually do open my own facility that, you know, you're going to do everything with your confidence and your head on your shoulders and you're going to, you're going to succeed. You know, sometimes you're going to fail, but if you mentally believe in yourself, you can do whatever you want to do. Has what's made you a little bit different? Has that made you stronger? Has that made you more successful? Honestly, yes, because knowing that I had to work twice as hard as the next person definitely motivated me to want to continue working. Like, for example, when I said earlier, I had to convince my strength coach to let me go through the pain just so I can overcome that so I can be a better athlete. I could have given up, you know, if I was hurting or, if, you know, I had an injury that was, you know, my new and I was an able body and, you know, I didn't really have a disability. I might have, you know, oh, coach, I'll sit this one out. But because I know that I have to work twice as hard, I don't want to skip a day. It's been days where my coach is like, Britt, like, we have to take the day off. And I'm like, no, like, I, I, I have to get to it because I don't want to fall behind because I am, in a sense, already behind in, to, in the eyes of other people. How does that work? with the other athletes because you know that you have to work through that pain and that pain is the pain that's telling your strength coach to to stop like this this is it this is going to be bad for you but you knew that you had to move move through that how does that work with the other athletes the athletes that you're coaching yeah so it's funny because the other coach I helped coach with, she would tell them like, come on, like you guys can do this. Like she's disabled and she's doing it. So you guys can do it too. So it's like a little joke we have where I, I don't get offended if someone's like, oh yeah, she's disabled, but she's always like, she has one arm and she's doing it with you guys' excuse. And so that has really like helped them to, you know, work hard too, like kind of seeing that I can do what I do with my arm situation. And then they're like, okay, we're shutting up. We have no excuses anymore. We'll do it. <laughs> Well, do you always think that you can push harder than you think you can? Yes, which is why I continue to go harder. So I would have never known that I could lift what I lift now if I wouldn't have pushed myself to my limits, you know, convincing my um, strength coach to let me do it. And I will always tell him like, you know, I want to run faster and everyone else is doing it. So why can't I do it? That's always been my, that's always been my reason. Like if someone else can do it, I can do it too. Can you, can you give us a few numbers there on terms, in terms of what you're lifting? Yeah, so I squat. So it's actually funny. My freshman year, I came in and I told my, my coach, I'm like, uh, it was a field coach. I'm like, yeah, by the time I leave college, like I want to squat 400 pounds. 
And he's like 400 pounds. Like, you're not going to squat that, like whatever. And I'm like, okay, well, I would like to do that. Like, that's a goal, you know? And then that same day, my freshman year, I squatted 400 pounds. And so they're like, oh my gosh. And so the most I've um, freeway squatted is 405. Um, and then I can, with bands and other things, I've squatted like 445 um, on my back. And so that was another issue that was, you know, my shoulder was swelling up from all that weight on my back, but that's what makes me a power runner. And so I just stuck through it. And then now I've been, you know, being able to do high pulls, um, which also is a huge thing with your shoulders. And I can do that with about 250. And then some, I've never maxed out on that. And then I've been cleaning, which is very difficult. It looks a little funky when I do it, but I do it. And then I've really also had some emphasis on, you know, push-ups and pull-ups and things like that. But Squatting is definitely my strong suit for sure. Squatting's your strong suit, but the push-ups and the pull-ups have really helped you as a runner and helped you yes. with your arm too, right? Yes. Yeah. So just just your own body weight. It's amazing what your own body weight can do for your performance. How have things been in COVID? I mean, this was a crazy year, right? And you were what you were second in the conference in the 60 meters. And then you didn't get an outdoor season. Yeah. And then, then you wait and wait and Tokyo gets postponed. And how did, how did you deal with that? What was your training like? What was your focus like? So honestly, um, going into my conference championships, um, when I got second, I'm not sure if a lot of people know, but like uh, three weeks before that, I strained my hamstring really bad to the point where like I was not doing, like the first time I sprinted again was, that Tuesday and conference was on Friday and I had a hamstring sleeve on and it was like held together and we're like, okay, we're going to make do with what, what it has to do and just go out there and run. So after that, we knew that obviously I need to get through my um, senior year and I'm like, coach, I want to run. Like I'm going to bike. I'm going to do everything I can and just rest. And I'll just run at conference and see what I was capable of. And I got second, which I was happy about. Wasn't happy about the time, but I was happy that I was still able to compete for my team and score points my senior year. And so it actually was a blessing in disguise with COVID. I had time to have that that downtime and, you know, actually fully recover and, you know, really focusing on strengthening my weaknesses that I didn't know I had, you know, like glute um, weaknesses and like my hamstrings were not as strong as they should have been. I wasn't stretching as much and, you know, really focusing and dialing in on those things during COVID. And so it actually made coming back and training a lot easier with actually having that break. So COVID hasn't always been a negative thing for me. You know, I was really devastated about not being able to go to Tokyo um, in 2020, but it was a blessing in disguise of the fact that I've learned how to take care of my body a lot better. I was able to train a lot longer and, you know, get a better fitness level for this year. And now my 200s are, you know, excelling a lot better and like really just dialing in mentally, physically, emotionally, and like focusing on my diet and a lot of things that I was focused on, but I wasn't really, really 100% tuned in and tuned in on. So. So did you have, did you have a season for Eastern Michigan this year, an outdoor season? Yeah, I had an outdoor season. And so it was a, it was a little tricky because it was, okay, I need to compete because I have a fifth year, but I can't, run too fast too early because I have to run all the way until September of this year because of Tokyo. So my coach and I had a lot of going back and forth of, you know, he's like, okay, I want you to come back. I want you to run for the relays. I want you to get that base and that conditioning, but you have to be okay with 
not running super, super fast at the times you want to run now so that you can have that glory and that success later on. And so it was a hard idea for me to, you know, a hard concept for me to acknowledge and accept because I am a competitor. And so when my numbers aren't showing, it is very difficult for me, but they eventually started, you know, coming down over time. And I was running those times without really, you know, tapping into the workouts I really needed to do. And so that was kind of even more motivating for me to know that, okay, you're still running similar times to what you run or what you ran at your world record in Dubai, but you're not even doing what you need to do yet to get to your top performance. Right. So you're not doing a lot of speed work yes. yet. So you're doing more of that strength work. And then that speed is where, where those times start coming yeah. down, where you start sharpening. How will that look for you between now and the games? Yeah. So um, I hope, hope that I am done dying at practice. I have been throwing up like almost every week um, running hills and conditioning. So it is a love hate with track and field. I tell you that. So my coach will always say, you know, like, what do you want to do this week? Like, do you want to run hills? I'm like, I don't want to run them, but I need to run them. And so every single time I deeply regret it. So we've still been, you know, conditioning and then we're going to start speeding myself up um, in about, I think a week or two and just, you know, starting to um, fine tune those things that I need to focus on um, because I don't run until August 31st. So I still have some time. So he's just been like, you know, we're not going to rush you getting a faster right now when we can just continue building your base so that you can be so strong that even if you don't get to the speed work or you don't hit what you want to hit, like you will have that strength to be able to run multiple rounds and run very successful multiple rounds. So we've been really executing my um, strength base because that's what we did in Dubai and it worked. I ran heels the three weeks that I had before Dubai and we found out that just from me being a power runner and just being really strong, I was able to run that world record. So he's been you know, focusing on my strengths, which is my building my base a little bit more and like running hills and you know, doing that strength stuff. And then we're gonna you know, fine tune in that sprinting a little bit last minute. So, so some of it also is just getting to know your body, isn't it? And just how your body reacts to, to the training that you need that workload. Is it fun though, when you get to this sharpening part, when you get to the point where you're working on the speed and you're like, Ooh, this is, yeah. this when is I'm not, good. when I'm not running a 300 meter hills and throwing up, it's a lot more fun to run fast one twenties and one fifties and like little, we do like the time trials. So who also put like their um, like a little chip on me and like we get to test like my flying 30 and like my flying my flying 50 and those are always fun but it's you know it's kind of weird because it's like um, sprinting shorter it's a lot more taxing on your body but it's more fun than running you know longer runs and it's a little bit slower those are death to me I'm a I like shorter sprints but I'm definitely tuning in for this 200 because I really really want to run well so I'm excited in the future that we get to, you know, go back to doing some speed endurance stuff and some short sprinting. I miss it. <laughs> so you do, you do well at the shorter races. What do you, what do you really do well? What part of the race do you do well? And what are your, what is your challenge? So everyone says that I have a really, really good reaction out of the blocks. That's like my strong suit. It's kind of like a, I get out, you have to chase me. Like I kind of, it's kind of like a, I can't remember my coach always says like, like make them run you down or something like that. Kind of like tire them out to the point where like they're so focused on catching up to you that they never catch up to you. 
And so my main focus has been just getting out and then just holding on for dear life. So I would definitely say that I decelerate a little bit quicker than a lot of people. I don't know if my race in Dubai started decelerating about 80 meters in. I didn't know how I was going to hold on, but I got out so well that I had no choice but to just, you know, decelerate through the line. So that's what we've been focusing on more, you know, still having that strong start, but also being able to finish strong as well, which is why I've been, you know, running the 200 more and training more so I don't decelerate as quickly. It's interesting that you talk about the reaction because it's easy to kind of look at it and say, well, it was, she starts well, but you said reaction. And so that's the reaction to the gun, mm -hmm. which is different than, than getting out of the blocks too, right? Those are two unique elements in the start of a sprinter, aren't they? Absolutely. So it's those two things that you do. I mean, certainly the reaction you said you do well, but then what's going to be the biggest challenge for you when it sounds like the endurance, but it sounds like you're putting in the time to be strong. Yes, absolutely. I would say the challenge would be just, you know, going out there and not having that self-doubt that, okay, you have multiple rounds, don't hold back. So I want to be able to, you know, execute each round without worrying about the next one. So I think that's going to be the challenging part of when I have to, you know, run a 200 in the morning and then come back and run the same 200, if not better in the afternoon. But, you know, you can't really jog the prelim because you need to make it to the final, but you can't, you know, go all out in the prelim because you need to make it to the final. So just being able to, you know, have that confidence, like, okay, like, you've been practicing this, you've been training for this, don't be afraid to, you know, go out there and just compete. It's a challenge though, isn't it? Cause you, I mean, you guys as sprinters, I mean, you're gunslingers, right? This is, this is what you do. You're the, you're the biggest, baddest on the, on the track. Right. And you hear these guys who are, who are going through the prelims, like at the Olympics, who are talking about trying to run as slowly <laughs> as they can to make and, it. <laughs> and still get forward, which, which is bold too, right? Like I, I'm going to go as slowly as I, I have to go. And do you do that? And if you do that, what elements of the race do you have to make sure to do properly yeah. to be able to not go full out? Yeah. So what I'll do if I know that um, I'm like going to win my heat or like, I can kind of like gauge it based on my start pretty much. Uh, once I get out, if I know that I have a pretty good lead, I'll shut it down a little bit about 70, 80 meters where I can like, you know, finish through the line. I won't slow up, but I won't just continue to speed up. So I'll just, you know, relax. So it's like, okay, you're making it through, you won your heat. Kind of what I did at, um, in my trials or in my prelims, sorry, um, in Dubai. It's like, okay, you're getting a feel for it. You're getting a feel for it. And then like, I was able to, you know, finally tune in what I needed to really tune in in the finals but that's more so what I would do or you know in the 200 I'll know to you know execute my start and then come around the curve and just like ride the wave of just whatever I built through the curve just like keep that momentum don't speed up but don't slow down don't speed up but don't slow down so just yes. make does, yep. does that make you feel confident when you can do that in the prelims yes absolutely <laughs> It really does, doesn't it? It's just one of those, you get out and you go, okay, now just be comfortable. You go through the finish line, everything's good. It doesn't hurt. What has been different about joining the Paralympics? We were actually, I mean, I guess I'm talking specifically about one thing we were talking about beforehand where, did you have to go through like all the drug testing 
and things like that when you were in college? Or is that something that you've had to do more so in the Paralympics? Yeah, so I've gotten drug tested only twice in college. Um, my freshman year and then my fifth year, I got drug tested like five o'clock in the morning. It was awful, but a lot more drug testing in uh, the Paralympic world for sure, 100%. I think just, I was just, you know, in June, I got drug tested three times in that month. And so it's just like, it's rapid. They find you and they will drug test you. <laughs> well, can you explain to people how that works? Because people don't have any idea, right? You, they want to think it's a, it's a level playing field, but they don't want to, they don't know what you're responsible for in terms of drug testing and where you're going to be, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So we have this little thing we have to fill out called a whereabout and they have to know where you are 24 hours out of the day. If you leave and go to the store, you have to update it. If you leave or you forget to tell them that you're out of town and they come to your house, it's a misdrug test and they'll call you wherever you are. It's been times where um, as long as you're kind of like in realm of your home, they'll pretty much call you and just say like, hey, we're here, where are you? And if you're not there, they'll find like a central location for you guys to meet or to say like, you'll come back home and they'll drug test you. But there's been times where I was in Ikea and I got a random phone call and I'm like, hi, like who is this? She's like, uh, I'm at your house to drug test you. And I'm like, just in, in Ikea with a cart full of things with my mom and my aunt. And I'm like, we have to go, I'm getting drug tested. And then another time was um, I was out at the track and she calls me, she's like, hey, like I saw, I just missed you. Um, I was assuming because your whereabouts said that you'd be at practice at 9.30, I got to your house at 9.15, 9.20, where are you? And I've got, I had to get drug tested across the street at a church. And then another time um, I got drug tested um, at a restaurant because I was out to eat for like 30 minutes. I just left my house with my family and she came to drug test me at Chili's in the bathroom. So <laughs> they so definitely- glamorous. Yes. <laughs> I mean, to the point where you've actually become friends with the woman who, yes. who drug tests you, right? Yeah, shout out to Tina. I love her. She's super, super cool. <laughs> and she's leveling the playing field. And you certainly believe in a level playing field and a clean race and yeah. all of that. But it, but it is challenging to, to go through all of the drug testing. And I mean, you fill out that form three months in advance yes. for the next three months of where you're going to be. And yeah. that's that's hard on the scheduling side. Yeah, especially when you don't know where you're gonna be. So it's it's cool that they let you like kind of update some things last minute, but like you have to even incorporate like where you're sleeping or where you're practicing the exact location or what days are you traveling? So if they do come and try to find you that you're not in an airport or you're not in the air, like it's a lot that goes into it for sure. There is, do you get, do you get any time off? I mean, you're in school, two masters, training, drug testing. Uh. Uh, no, because if I'm not training, then like, so for example, after Tokyo, I'll take some dime, some downtime, but I'm still in two masters programs. So once I am done with, I have my first programs done in December and my second one will be done in May of next year. Once that is completely done, I'm going to take a break from school and just, you know, focus on traveling and running, which is what I love to do anyway. But it's not really fun when I'm like, oh shoot, I'm in the airport and I have to do a paper because I'm traveling for a track meet and I have to get on the plane in an hour and this is due in like two days. So you haven't had any time for Netflix then? I do Netflix in the evening sometimes, but honestly, sometimes I'm just so tired that I just go straight to sleep when I'm done with my day. <laughs> well, it seems like people during, during COVID 
have have certainly moved in. I mean, it seems like it's one of those things that is like back years where everybody watched the same TV show kind of thing and you could comment on it. Did you have anything that you had to watch during COVID? Are, you, are you going to tell us? Is this getting embarrassing? Grey's Anatomy. I definitely wanted to be a surgeon. I definitely thought that I was a surgeon watching that. <laughs> I watched like, I. it was so bad. Like I would just binge watch like 10 episodes a day and they're like an hour long almost. <laughs> Grey's Anatomy though has been on for like 20 years or something, yeah, hasn't it? And honestly, I had never really watched it before until um, we had COVID. And so you went back and, and, and did you watch the whole thing? Absolutely. <laughs> You you were you were competitive. You're goal oriented. You're gonna get to the end of this. I was gonna get to the end of yeah. I, I fell in love with Grey's Anatomy. I'm like I don't understand what all the hype is about this show. And then I started watching it, and I like I was getting like personal connections with like the the characters, and I like got super sad about certain parts. I'm like this just isn't right. <laughs> what about when you go to Tokyo? Will you have some downtime during Tokyo, or are you continuing to study while you're in Tokyo as well? Yeah. So. Um, I took, this is my fourth summer class I've taken. So right now I'm only taking one. So that's a pretty downtime for me, you know, just taking one at a time. So that's a pretty laid back class. So I'm hoping because we can't really do anything in COVID or not, sorry, not COVID. We can't do anything in Tokyo because of COVID. Um, I'm hoping that I can, you know, watch my tablet and watch some Netflix or find some new shows and then just do my like three discussion posts and my one assignment that I have to do each week, which is super, super easy compared to me doing like five different classes at once. Well, but you have some other stuff going on too, yeah. right? You're competing on the highest level and those kinds of things. What do you think it's going to be like in Tokyo? Because your family can't come, right? There won't be fans in the, in the, in the, in the arena. What, what do you, yeah. what do you expect? Do you feed off that kind of stuff? So I know that it's, you know, no fans is kind of, it's pretty depressing the situation they've put us in, but knowing that I worked this hard to get to here and that they didn't postpone it again, like, I don't care if it's dead silent or if I'm just running it by myself, I'm going to run and I'm going to get hype because I need to, you know, compete and make myself feel like my training's not going to waste. So I'm not going to feed into, you know, the circumstances of us not having fans and things like that, because uh, even at trials, we didn't have fans and it was still, you know, I had to get myself hyped and I still had to go out there and compete and just have people watching on TV. So knowing that people are still going to be watching, just not so much in the stadium, it's still motivating to me. So I'm going to go out there like it's a normal meet and try to, you know, get hyped and, you know, just not let those um, outside things play come into play. Well, it's part of your mindset though, isn't yeah. it? I mean, it's, it's the difficulties pushing you to greater heights, right? I mean, this has kind of been the theme of, of what you've done and what you teach to other people. So yet again, you're in that position where, <laughs> where it's what you've talked about. So now it's what you have to do, right? <laughs> what are your expectations in Tokyo? Do you have any expectations? How do you approach a big event? Do you go into it with expectations or a process driven or how does it work? Yeah, so I have goals on my wall that I have that I, every single day I wake up and they're like right by my mirror because I look at my mirror every day. Gotta look fabulous. So <laughs> I um, I look at those every single day and like those are my goals. I'm like, okay, I think about those up until when I'm going to leave and then 
I don't do well with competing if I overthink. I just have to go out there and run. So I'm like, okay, so I have my goals. Like, obviously, it's a goal of mine to, you know, break my world record again in the 100-meter dash and, you know, win. Like, that's the goal. That's everyone's goal. Everyone wants to win. So I have that in my mind. But if I'm constantly overthinking about it or, like, you know, I'm overanalyzing, I don't perform well. So I just have to clear my mind and just go out there and compete and whatever happens, happens. So do you, do you, so you don't really think on the process side of it? Cause it's hard like to have those kinds of expectations, right? If I want to break the world record. Do you actually, do you get specific about that in terms of like by how much you want to break the world record? No, just as long as I break it, that'll be completely fine. I've t- I tied it this year, like to the millisecond and oh, it killed me so much because all it took was a little hair to break it. And I'm like, are you kidding me? So once I, I was telling myself all um, my collegiate like, I want to tie my world record, I want to break it. And then like, the more I kept thinking about it, it's like, it wasn't coming. And then like, when I was like, okay, I'm just going to run and wing it. I'm just going to go. And then I tied my record when I wasn't thinking, I'm like, all right, that's it. Don't think about it anymore. Just go out there and run. What you do at practice and how you warm up is how you're going to compete. So it's like if I'm having killer workouts and I'm throwing up, I'm hoping it's for a reason. I'm hoping. Um, but if I'm throwing up and, you know, I'm, you know, uh, executing my uh, warm up and I'm really focused and doubt and there's no sense of me thinking when I get to the start line. Right. So in some ways, what you're saying is that the the goal is really the motivation for training to continue to push you to that training. Whereas then once you get to the race, you go, okay, this is it. I've done it. There's nothing else I can do. I just have to get on the track and just perform the way that I want to perform. Is there, is there anything you want to see? Is there anything you want to do? Is there anything you want to, this is your first Paralympic games, right? So like, to, to experience, to signify to you that you're actually there. Is there anything that you're looking at? Um, I look, I'm looking to, you know, I would like to be holding that American flag and on that podium. So that would be like surreal to me because it's like when I was younger, I watched, you know, my role models compete at the Olympics and not so much obviously Paralympics, but it was just amazing that they worked so hard and it only comes around every four years for them to, you know, showcase their talents around the world. Um, at that level and so like being able to be in that position myself is just something I'm looking forward to so much and the fact that I have that opportunity is something I'm definitely not going to take for granted. If you could go back and you could talk to that 11 year old girl who is fifth in the 100 and the 200 what would you what would you tell her having learned everything that you've learned now? I would tell her, don't stop believing in yourself and that what you put your mind to, you can definitely do. That seems like it's pretty powerful stuff. And, and would you tell her about the idea of being a complete person as well? I mean, it seems like you're, I mean, you're, you're good on the track. You're good. You're good in school. You're doing a variety of things. Would you tell her that that's something that's important? Yeah, it's definitely important. You know, all those aspects of like what I was taught growing up and, you know, having good grades in school and, you know, working hard in that also helped me to, you know, work hard on the track, which helped me to, you know, want to work hard and be an inspiration to other people. So it's all, all in the same one thing. So it's like, you can be, you can be great in track. Some athletes are great in track, but if you don't have that, um, you know, outside stability or you don't have those same goals in other parts of your life, it might not be 
so great after all. So I've really tried to dial in on, you know, making sure that all aspects of my life I'm working on each day so that each aspect is helping to build on a different one and one another so that, you know, track is helping me with, with wanting to motivate myself to, you know, do two masters at once because I'm like, okay, if I can break a world record, I can do two masters, like no biggie. And so that's kind of what happened. I, I had too much confidence going in. It's been good, but too much confidence. And so, you know, having that confidence in all other aspects of my life have definitely helped me to be very well-rounded. Okay, so we've talked about the idea of look good, run good. I think you, I think you just mentioned that. I don't know if that eleven-year-old did that. Eleven-year-old girl know that? Yeah, I used to run with um, a side ponytail, and like that was my signature look. So even at eleven years old, like I thought I had a look to me. And now looking back, I, I asked my parents, I'm like, you, you never loved me. You let me look like that when I ran. Like it was, oh, it was so bad when I look at pictures of how they used, how I used to run and like what I looked like. And I thought I was like the coolest person ever with that little side ponytail. <laughs> but I was so superstitious that I felt like if I didn't wear my side ponytail and look like that, I wouldn't run well at all. Like it was like a, such a confidence thing about my looks. <laughs> so I don't know if you're allowed to answer this question or not. I don't know if you want to divulge this, but uh, you'll be in the U.S. kit, you know, so so you won't have much. I mean, you will be able to, you could do a side ponytail, I guess, if you wanted to. <laughs> you have that as a choice. But the fingernails, are you, can you tell us what you would, what your fingernails are going to look like? Do you have a plan yet? Yeah, so I want to incorporate some sort of, you know, symbolism of our nation. So I would like to do some sort of red, white, and blue. I don't know what it's going to be yet, but I'm hoping that they're going to be definitely noticeable on TV because you have to look good to run good. So I'm hoping like they're bright and you can see them when I'm running because like that's the goal. And so I don't know, might save that for a little bit, a little bit of a surprise. Okay, okay, we, we will definitely. I will look for that. Do you do them yourself or do you have somebody do them? I have someone do them for me. So this is something you're going to have to do before you leave home. Yes. Okay. Okay. So there's a little forethought. And so then will you be wearing gloves the whole time before you get to the track or how does that no. work? <laughs> Once I'm in Tokyo, it's not a surprise anymore. Everyone can see my nails, but I'm hoping to get a, a style that lasts long enough since I will be there for almost a month and I don't want them to look, you know, older when I'm competing. So I might do like a little red French tip or a little blue French tip or something like that. Just kind of make them look super nice while I'm competing and they'll last a little bit longer. Okay. Okay. We will look forward to that. I will make sure to note that <laughs> when you're there, cause you'll be there right on the, right on the starting line with the hands out and we'll definitely be able to see the fingernails. So Brittany, thank you so much for joining us, for taking time out of your busy schedule of training in school and a little bit of a uh, little bit of, uh, of Gray's anatomy and, mm -hmm. uh, and you know, the things that you're doing right now. So thanks right. so much for joining us and good luck. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's been absolutely awesome. So thank you. Good luck. Train hard in between. Thank you to all of you for joining us. As we usually say, if you if you didn't get a chance to see the whole thing, you can go to the One Revolution page on Facebook. It will be archived there. You can also wait for the podcast, which will end up being on YouTube. It'll be on Spotify. It'll be on Apple. It'll be on all the usual suspects. Wherever you get your podcast, you can listen to Brittany on YouTube. You can actually watch her as well. Greatest compliment you can pay us is please tell your friends. Please tell your friends to tune in. 
like us, follow us, like and follow Brittany because she's doing some great stuff. And you might even know before we do what she has on her fingernails. <laughs> All right. Thanks a ton. Take care.